0: Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to Alpha Metallica We're here with a review this time We're off our alphabet trail for a little bit We're going to do Mission to Lars I don't know if you've seen this one from 2012 Very interesting movie um That I've been tangentially aware of But never sort of watched it online And um someone who, you know, listened to the show Has been on the show before uh, Maybe the time zone of this is going to come on in the future Um uh, We did The Day That Never Comes Together My man Nick, how's it going man?
1: It's going good, man. How you
0: doing? Good, man. And you, you, you know, you were the guy who sort of, you know, reminded me really about this movie, and you know, it's, it's a great watch.
1: Absolutely. What I really like about it is it's it's not a Metallica film. It's no. not a it's not about Metallica. You know, Metallica is sort of this collateral part of the film, um, and in that way, it because it's, it centers around Lars, obviously. It, it really shows a different side of Lars, I think. Um, especially because Lars, I think is the one member that has this sort of public persona of being, you know, really outspoken, you know, possibly arrogant at times. And I think this film's works as a real nice window into more Lars as a person rather than Lars the drummer from Metallica
0: yeah yeah no entirely and and just to give a quick plot summary um, from IMDB uh, Kate and Will Spice's brother Tom has Fragile X Syndrome the most common form of inherited learning disability he's also a massive fan of Lars Ulrich from Metallica they made a promise to Tom that they would get him to meet Lars Tom's dream is their promise together they went on a mission to Lars and, yep, I guess today, today we're going to go through the actual film, so I guess spoilers and stuff like that, but you should definitely check the film out as well. Um, you know, it's about it's about 70, 80 minutes, and it's a very sort of tender, intimate movie, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, obviously um, real centered on family and just the idea, mm-hmm. you know, that that two siblings would drop everything in their lives, you know, their careers and things like that. To sort of make their brother's dream come true, you know, at, at the risk of sounding a little cheesy, I mean that—that that is a—it's a real tender idea, and it—it's a—it's a real simple idea, but yet it's really powerful.
0: Mm, mm, definitely. You know? No, for sure, for sure. And um, just before we get into. Uh, the review, I just want to remind people, please, you know, subscribe to the show, leave us a review on iTunes, Uh, we have the Patreon as well, episodes like this, which are like my top 10s, or my reviews, or sort of extracurricular episodes, will go on the Patreon first, so if you want to get access to them and support the show, go on for there, they'll be on there weeks before, and um, yeah, just comment below, and and like, and all all that good stuff, but yeah, the whole whole documentary for me, it it kind of, I agree, I anticipated a Metallica-driven narrative, And what I got was something, say, on par with like a Louis Faroux, like quite a compelling human drama.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's really something that, you know, Metallica themselves have tried in the past with things like Some Kind of Monster and even, you know, Mm -hmm. always having all this stuff online. And so I would imagine that Lars was absolutely thrilled to be able to be part of the project overall, but just to really do something... Wonderful for the family in this way. It's tough for me to, you know, articulate it at times, but I really can't say enough good things about the film. Mm. You know, you know it, it has that real nice core that it's built around. Yeah. You know, with the with the tenderness and things that we talked about. But it, it's it. You know, it's got a good length. It's not too long. And I think it. It says what it needs to say and what it seeks to say really well.
0: It's it's quite real as well, um, is what I liked about it. It wasn't kind of, you know, neutered. Um, Tom, who has fragile X syndrome, you know, it basically is is kind of obsessed with seeing Lars. Keeps talking about wanting to go see Lars, uh, and you know, when he gets the opportunity to go, he doesn't go. Then they have to convince him to go. You know what I mean? It takes quite a while, like twenty-three minutes of negotiation, to get to this point. It's um, the very is satisfying.
1: One of the things that's that's nice about the film, and speaking to what you mentioned about it, you know, sort of being real and kind of raw at times is you know they they don't hide this the frustration that the siblings get at times
0: Mm. you
1: know over just having like you said negotiate for 23 minutes and and you know have to sort of you know there's times where they'll have sort of something planned out you know they're they're gonna go to the show they're gonna do this they're all ready to go they're getting them in there you know, they're getting Tom in the building and everything. And then all of a sudden, he just doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's he's overcome with everything going on. And he wants to go back. You know, he wants to leave. The fact that they had to get tickets to what, I think, what was it, four different gigs? Yep. They followed band around for four different shows. You know, speaks to the difficulty, really, of what they were trying to do. And just... Impresses on, upon me the weight of how awesome it really was. Yeah. You know, this wasn't this wasn't a weekend trip. Let's hop on a plane and go to Metallica for our brother. Mm. Yeah, this was a this was an undertake.
0: Completely in the RV as well.
1: Right, and and I just to sort of clarify for the the people that are listening, Fragile X. Um, I had never heard of it. Before I saw the film, right. obviously, obviously I was aware of autism, um, and I, you know, and I know that it has different areas on a spectrum. But I was I was never aware that it could be quite so extreme. You know, Tom throughout the film really struggles in in you know really intensive social situations, really chaotic situations, you know, where there's a lot of people and there's a lot of noise and and You know, he he lives in a group home. Mm. Um, And I actually have a brother that lives in a group home. Um, As you and I have discussed before, I have cerebral palsy. I'm able to sort of live a day-to-day life. You know, it has its difficulties, but um, my difficulties are... I walk with a slight limp is basically where, Mm. you know, as far as it goes. Whereas my twin brother who also has cerebral palsy, he's wheelchair-bound, doesn't have a lot of use of his hands and things like that. And he's lived in a group home since we were about 10 years old because it just just became clear, you know, for the family that that was the best way to care for him and things like that. And now being 27 years old almost, you know, and watching my brother grow up in that environment in a, in a group home it's it's a very sheltered way to live um, you know almost very sterile There's the contact that, that a lot of these people have with the outside world is sort of mandated or scheduled or mm. it has to be approved in some fashion you know so when you take you know, Tom is in his was it forties or fifties? I mean, he's yeah. he's you know up there, you know. So he's lived in this in this way for decades. So you take having that sort of sheltered, sterile lifestyle, and you pair it with Fragile X, and then you take this guy and you throw him into the backstage area of a Metallica show. <laughs> It's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. And very challenging.
0: And there's just there's something about Metallica, isn't there, as a band that it makes sense that he would idolize one? I don't know what it is about the band, but there's something that they're like everyone's
1: band, aren't they? Yeah, and and what's interesting is you had Paul Brannigan on the show, and I, I, I think hmm. it was one of his books. I'm not 100% positive, but in one of the two volumes, he makes the comment when people. Like Metallica, you know, Metallica fans, Metallica seems to be their favorite band. You know, anybody that you meet that likes Metallica, like they're number one, you know, or very close to it. And that was a, I thought that was an interesting observation because it's, I've, in my experience, it's been very true. You know, people that love Metallica, all of a sudden it turns into this really rabid sort of fascination with the band. And Metallica being that way and being the band they are, you know, coupled with Tom's difficulties in life, Mm -hmm. it fits because people with autism, even at varying levels, they'll tend to gravitate towards a certain thing or, or certain things, you know, that they're obsessed with, they're really involved with, they like to spend a lot of time with because it it comes to have a sort of sense of familiarity for them. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really important to a person with a diagnosis like this is to just so, sort of have that real nice comfort zone. And I think Metallica is a band that has always and still really lends itself to being that band. Mm. You know, even for me in my own life, Metallica has always been, you know, something I can go to, something that I can sort of escape with or, you know everything I've got going in my on in my life just with my difficulties and being an adult and having a son and You know, studying for the bar exam and things like that—even if it's just for 20 minutes—you know—to have that band that I can just sit in the car by myself and crank it up and really escape with is really invaluable. Mm. And I and I think that's why Metallica is so loved and why it's—you know—the fan base is so passionate is because Metallica has just always been this band that that people can grab onto.
0: And in the film as well there's lots of it's it's quite well shot, isn't it? It's quite sort of humbly put together, but I I like the way it looks and I like the America it captures.
1: Right. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the brother is actually a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not uh, I'm not exactly clear like on what level, you know, if he's Yeah you know, what exactly he does in his capacity, but he has the experience and I think it shows and it, yeah, the, the sort of pacing of it, the direction of it, the, you know, just the whole sort of classical film inter angles of shots and things like that. It all, it's able to convey the emotional aspect of the film really well. It's really put together nicely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is and the mo- the moment as well that, you know, I thought was interesting where's where they're in the RV in the car park and he- Tom refuses to go to the gig that's just happening very close by.
1: Yeah. You know and, and it's I think that's hard for a for a, a normal person to really understand. You know, here you are at the cusp of your dream and you don't want to get out of the RV. Yeah. You know, and that's just... It, it. It's a moment that really conveys everything that's at stake, all the work that's went into this, you know, and the challenge that it really was. It's That's a scene that sort of encapsulates the whole idea of the film really perfectly.
0: And when it gets to its conclusion... you know it's been building up to the entire film when eventually he meets lars it's such a heartwarming moment isn't it
1: absolutely and and what i really liked about the whole thing and honestly the film really gave me a new respect for lars Mm. because the moment is nothing it's it's not manufactured at all you know it's not Lars isn't really coddling him or, or babying him, you know. He just speaks to him like a, a normal person, just treats him like a normal person, you know. And as as somebody that's dealt with something similar or, or, and somebody that's sort of been connected with that idea my whole life, you know, either through people that I've met or, or, or people like my brother, That is something that that people with a disability really value, is being treated as if they're just like everybody else. Mm. And Lars clearly understands that. And obviously really, really wants Tom to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And that's what I took from the whole sort of encounter, and that's what I was really impressed with
0: yeah yeah me too i mean i've watched a lot of metallica's meet and greets on on youtube and they're fascinating to watch and you know all the members are really good they're old hands at meeting these fans but lars is always very very good i found he's quite personable and yeah in...
1: lars oh, go ahead sir. no no just
0: in the to- in the tom situations he definitely shows that you know t- you know even more so he has a lot of tact yeah uh, he's very he's very warm
1: yeah and I mean, talk about really, really going ab- above and beyond for a guy. I mean, he gives him a set of drumsticks and he shows him the drum mm. kit. You know, he and he invites Tom to sit down at it. You know, an idea of which Tom is a little resistant. Mm. You know, but at the end, when he has them walk out with the band, you know, when he has the when he has them do the walkway with them. You mm-hmm. know, talk about it would almost be interesting to hear. And now that you mentioned you're going to have Kate on the show, I think it'd be a really interesting question of what did Tom take from all this, you know, because like given his difficulties, given his challenges, doing that walk and you see in the film, he's very resistant to it right away, you know, not comfortable with the idea at all you know but he does it and it's it's leaving his comfort zone in such an extreme way it makes me wonder how it impacted him
0: yeah it it is it is such a such a leap isn't it from what was shown at the start of the film to what he accomplished at the end it's very inspiring
1: yeah absolutely and it i know i just thought of it as you said it, sort of how it it really encapsulates the whole sort of classic example of a of a quest, you know. You, you start at one end and you cap the film off with this when you think about it, really amazing accomplishment.
0: It lots of great footage of the band as well. There isn't that much of it, but what there is is, you know, very it's sort of the Death Magnetic Tour.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's you know you get to see the different crew guys and things like that, and there's even a little guest spot from Carrie King. So
0: yeah, yeah, there, oh, there is, <laughs> yeah, remember that. that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that that scene is sort of interesting to me because that's to me it's sort of a, a little moment of comic relief because knowing Carrie King's public persona as somebody who is definitely very outspoken. Mm-hmm. Kerry King, in that, like, 30 seconds, looks very unsure of what to
0: say. He d- yeah, he does.
1: <laughs> yeah, doesn't really know how to carry himself, and it's kind of amusing.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? It doesn't, like, they they say they're watching him, and he's like, weren't they playing in England? Or He says something along those lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah.
0: that. Um, yeah, that was quite funny to see Kerry King just have that cameo at the end, but... It is a lovely scene. I want to urge people to check this film out. Um, you know, it's, 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 available to rent on YouTube as I rented it and you can, you know, access it in many, many forms online. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely worth watching. As you mentioned, Kate, who is the main journalist sister who kind of anchors the film around with Tom. Um, I'm going to have her on the show soon. Um, I'll probably put it on the same thing as this episode as like a bumper thing when it comes out. But yeah, check that. It should be on this episode, I imagine. Uh, we're going to talk about the film as well. But, um, yeah, the ending, uh, you know, including when they go out and Lars plays his drums as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great ending. It re- cool. it really is. And and I would really encourage people to check the film out, if, you know, especially if you have sort of negative feelings about Lars, you know, because of, you know, the Napster thing or just because of his whole sort of attitude in interviews and things like that. You know, I know that there are fans and there are people just in general that Lars sort of will leave a bad taste in their mouth. And I think if you watch the film, you'll never have those feelings again. Mm. Because when I think about Lars now, and it speaks to the power of the sort of the whole scene, that's one of the first things that I think about, you know, when I think about Lars is... You know his his manner and the things that he does in his short times time in this film. Hmm. You know, I think more, almost more than anything that I've seen publicly over the course of their career, I think it really speaks to Lars' character. You know, and I know when you and I were discussing the band and and. You know, just certain little things that they'll put out, like back to the front and the, the really mm. intense box sets for Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. and You know, even back in the day, the live Binge and Purge set and all that stuff. You know, who do you think has most of that stuff? Who do you think really gets in there and really cranks out to put that stuff together? You know, that's Lars and, you know, he's always had a really intense love for the band and a really intense love for the fans, and this film really speaks to that. And I think, you know, in terms of the band as a whole, you know, now it's it's really become a th- um, sort of a James calling card, you know, to speak of the Metallica family and, mm. you know, things like that. It's over the years and because of things like mission to lars it's become clear to me that that sentiment is very real you know that that for the band the fans are a sort of um intangible family
0: like, there aren't many substitutes for Lars. There couldn't be many more films of this like about other rock stars that would be as good as this, I don't think. I think Lars plays it very well. Not plays it, but you know what I mean? He fits it very well, and he serves it well. Like, if there was a mission to Jason Newstead, I don't think it'd be as successful.
1: No, and, and I think that part of that is because Lars has sort of always been talented from a PR standpoint. Yeah. Not to say that you know it, it's insincere at all, but it absolutely is a, a Lars Ulrich skill set, you know, to be able to sort of grab onto a moment and make it something mm. in front of a camera, you know, to a point where even when you look at something like. The the infamous fuck scene and in, in some kind of monster mm. he do, he does it sort of involuntarily at this point it's just who he is
0: and I mean Lance to you like you know are you are you judging him for anything prior the Napster stuff any any grudges
1: no not really I I to say very little about the Napster thing just to avoid a tangent. Looking back at it, Lars was absolutely right. So I don't think a fan, if they really sat down and thought about it, could have a lot of negative thoughts because he he was right. And in the moment, you know, people were frustrated and there was a lot of negative feelings and there was the people that burned their CDs and so on and so forth. But, you know, Lars is the guy standing there and he could say, I told you so. Um, I've sort of always, I've always sort of appreciated Lars's demeanor and, um, yeah, he's a little over the top at times, but he's fun, you know? Um, one of my favorite moments from like a year and a half is when he's like speeding down the freeway. And he's driving through like the medians and stuff and all the stuff is marked off and, you know, definitely not where you're supposed to be driving a car. And he looks Mm -hmm. at the camera and he says, well, they tell you not to drive there, but they don't put anything to stop you from driving there like nails or anything, you know. So I've always I've never really had any negative feelings towards Lars. Mm -hmm. Uh I enjoy what he brings to the band.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I think this would be an antidote for anyone who did possibly uh not enjoy him as much but yeah this is a really good movie um like you know what i urge people to watch it it just has a mixture of many emotions going through um very detailed uh in spite of being like 60 70 minutes as we say but it kind of you know it just has quite a, a dense plotting to it but it's kind of absurdist in a certain sense as well this metallica backdrop but it all coheres very well um you know to a very sort of um, season point w- like what about other releases um for you man like uh, you said some kind of monster Have you seen Through the Never?
1: Yep, yep, I've seen Through the Never. Um, I'm I'm one of the people that at times I really don't enjoy the whole narrative aspect of it.
0: Hmm.
1: But other times when you sort of detach from the narrative and look at it as an extension of the live footage, it does work really well.
0: Uh, yeah, I haven't actually seen it myself, but um, I've heard mixed things.
1: Yeah, the it's absolutely worth watching, if nothing else, for the live footage. The, mm. live, the live footage is like nothing you've ever seen in terms of Metallica. I mean, they really pulled out all the stops on the film. You know, I, I believe they sunk something close to like $10 million into the project or something. Some... It's just some obscene mm. amount of cash that the band spent, and it absolutely shows, but it makes for an amazing experience and I'm kind of I'm sort of sad that I was never able to see it theatrically, you know on the you know with the massive screen and the sound system and all that. I imagine it really was a nice punch in the face at the time
0: mm-hmm. yeah, no completely completely and um. I mean, what else is there? I guess there's a few documentaries out there and stuff like that, but there needs to be something a bit more definitive, you know what I mean? Like something a bit more long form again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I well, I would never, I would never be opposed to another release. You know, I think um, we're real blessed in a way to live in the time that we live in because, like, if you hop on YouTube, for example, there's certain guys. Um, that have YouTube channels that are just nothing but bootlegs and, you know, compilations mm-hmm. of TV interviews. and for a, for a band as huge as Metallica is and has always been involved in one way or another, there, there's so much stuff that you can have access to now. Like to the, I've seen like the press tapes from when Garage Inc. was released. You know, those are on YouTube. Yep, yep. You know, ten years ago you would have never had access to something like that.
0: Yeah, it is it is crazy, I agree. I love I kind of love that aspect of YouTube, like the archival aspect that you can just get access to all these things that wouldn't have been there, but it kind of robs everything of its power, doesn't it, it? Because it's all in the same paradigm, but I definitely uh I definitely get what you think. Mat Metfam for Life is one of the big YouTube channels that does that and they are quite good with their uh, with their bootlegs over there, but no, Nick. This has been great discussing this uh, movie with you, man.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Are again. you?
0: Um, are there any shows that you can promo? Any social media for yourself or?
1: No, I don't. I don't really do anything like that. I'm, did normally just a day-to-day guy, and I just wanted to come on because it sounded like fun. So.
0: Yeah. No. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on, man. This has been great. Um, as ever, if you're listening to this, maybe in the bit in the future, check out our also day that never comes. Um, um, we've we've got two on the letter D there but um, Nick for now it's been great bro
1: absolutely man have a good day